0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to Liz Collin Reports, where we talk truth. On the podcast, this week marked a dark day and somber anniversary in Minneapolis history, 30 years since Minneapolis police officer Jerry Hoff was ambushed and executed. It was September 25th of 1992, around two in the morning, when Officer Hoff was taking his lunch break at the Pizza Shack, a local cop hangout. Hoff was drinking a cup of coffee when two cowards and Vice Lord gang members walked in and shot him from behind. He died two hours later at the hospital. Jerry's daughter is joining me today to reflect on that terrible day, but also to talk about all that's changed and perhaps more so stayed the same after the death of her father. And sadly, the role Minnesota politics is playing even now in her family's fight for justice. Cindy Benson, thank you for being my guest today. We're very sorry for the loss of your father and certainly thankful for his service. Well, thank you for that. What has this week been like? I'm I'm curious, Cindy, marking 30 years all the time that you and your family have missed out on with your dad. I think it's hard for us, uh, a lot of us, to even imagine all you've been through.
1: Well, because of this incident, he's missed his sons being married, grandchildren being born, great-grandchildren being born. You know, there's always that empty spot at the table. As with any death, but... With us, it gets brought up at least two or three times a year because of all the what's going on in this world.
0: Take us back to that that night I know it was the middle of the night, thirty years ago in 1992. What do you remember?
1: Well, the day before on the 24th, my dad, Called me up and asked me to come over with my son to help get the camper ready to go camping that weekend. And on the way over, my son asked me, How can grandpa get killed? And I, what? How can grandpa get killed? And I'm thinking, well, he must be my grandfather who died. And I tried to explain to him, you know, people get sick and you know there's diseases. And he's like, no, grandpa get killed. And it's like, well, there's good guys and bad guys. And, you know, sometimes the bad guys win and kill the good guys. As we pull up into my dad's driveway, he goes, I'm going to miss grandpa when he gets killed today. My, I was just in shock. Went in, told my mom, and she's like, whoa, that's weird. Twelve hours later, he was shot and killed. That night, I couldn't sleep because of what John had said. And we get a phone call. And you never get good phone calls in the middle of the night. And it was the police department saying that there was an incident and my dad had been injured. And that they wanted me to come down to Hampden County Medical Center as soon as I could. Okay, went in to the bedroom, woke my husband up and said, something's happened. You know, they want me down at the medical center. And it can't be that bad because they're letting me drive. If he was dead, they would come and get me. As those words are floating in the sky, the phone rings. It was the police sergeant saying that they were coming to get me. That's when I knew he was dead.
0: That story about your son, I know you told me before, but it gives you goosebumps every time, every time you hear it, really unbelievable.
1: Uh, he we don't know where it came from. He remembers talking about, it, but he doesn't know where it came from. And then that night, you know, having to explain to his sister and him. They were seven and four. Once again, about how bad guys kill the good guys, and we go back to my mom's house with the kids. And John walks in, and sees an old, you know, police officer standing there, walks up to him, and says, "Are you going to catch the bad guys that killed my grandpa?" If you want to see an old cop get teary-eyed, that did it. Mm.
0: And I know you yourself were just twenty-eight at the time, and you talk about missing out on all of those milestones with your dad, but there's a new generation doesn't know much about him. And I wanted you to just uh, share some memories, talk about the kind of guy um, that he was. I know he was just three months away from retirement when he was senselessly executed.
1: Yeah, he loved to go camping. That was his. my mom's dream was to retire, get in the camper and just travel across the country, going anywhere they wanted. He loved fishing. There, He wouldn't go out on opening weekend because that's when all the stupid people go out. So he would go out right afterwards. He loved his boat and he would water ski, taught us all, all three kids how to water ski, plus friends' kids. He played the accordion and the pipe organ, which still can't hear beer, bear or polka without a little tear coming up. Because that was his favorite song to play on the accordion. He'd go camping and he'd pull that sucker out and we would all sing around the campfire.
0: And that's how he met your mom, right? Their love of the accordion and their marriage of, of 31 years.
1: They met in accordion class when they were, in, I believe, in the ninth grade. And they just were friends until he went to the service. He was in the Air Force and, and they started dating and they were married back in 1961, mm. September 2nd, and just celebrated their 31st anniversary. In fact, the weekend before all this happened, they had gone camping.
0: And he worked in the traffic department of the Minneapolis Police Department and just finished up a, a DUI report um, at the time of this coffee break, uh, which I know was in the middle of the night, but that was the, the shift he, he was working uh, at the time. But that's when all this happened.
1: He worked the power shift from 5 p.m. to 3 a.m. And as he said, it said Minneapolis on the side of the car, and that's what he patrolled. Whether it was north side, south side, he did all of Minneapolis. And he was an accident investigator. There's an accident. He would be the one to do all the measurements. He was trained on, you know, DUIs and all that. And, yeah, just a simple stop to get, you know, relax, finish that paperwork, have his last break and two people walk in behind him. You know, this wasn't an accident. This was a purposely done execution. It was planned. People were dropped off a block away. People witnessed the people, you know, them being dropped off. They walked in to the restaurant. Went to the second part of the restaurant, pulled up their guns and aimed at his back and shot him twice.
0: And and planned you're talking about, but this all traces back to the vice lord gang members. Ultimately, it's four uh, gang members arrested and convicted. And again, your dad's simply targeted for being a police officer.
1: At the time, they kept saying it was a racial issue. It was a, a, you know a a thing about color, and it's true. It was about color but it wasn't black and white. He was simply shot because of the color of his shirt. He was shot because he was a cop. He wore a blue shirt. They didn't know who he was. He didn't know what vice lords were. All he would care about is if he had your license and registration.
0: So 30 years later, two of the men who had been sentenced to life are now being considered for parole. Just bring us up to date because again, all your family has, has been through over these 30 years and, and now this.
1: In Minnesota, when you're sentenced to life, it's not life. It's it used to be 12 years and 18, then it got changed to 30. It really need, and now, if you kill a police officer, it is life without parole.
0: But this is b- before that law w- was passed, so now you're left to deal with the, the consequences of what was on the books before.
1: Yep, and they are given a chance to prove themselves that they didn't do it, or you know, prove to the Pearl Lord that they've changed and they've accepted responsibility and, you know, would make a good contribution to society. We were sentenced to life. We'll never get our, our father back or husband, grandfather, friend. It's just hard for them to see our part of it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Cause I certainly can't see their part thinking that, you know, you can go up to someone, shoot them in the back and then get out. It doesn't matter if it was a cop or not. You you don't shoot people in the back.
0: And so specifically, Pepe McKenzie. We'll talk about him first. Uh, serving thirty years, so he's eligible now in November. Um, it, it sounds like there will be a decision e- either way in no in November. But uh, talk talk a little bit about him and and what you've been able to to find out. He has he has quite a presence uh, online on social media and such.
1: That yeah, he does. He's always said that, you know, he turned himself in because he was was not involved. He's written letters to president saying his total non involvement had nothing to do with it. He was only convicted because it was a jury. You know, the jury was anonymous. He was only convicted because of something else. No, he was convicted because the evidence showed that he was guilty. Up until just a few years ago, he said he had nothing to do with it. Now they dangle parole in front of him and he's like, oh, yeah, well, uh, something bad happened. I'm trying to make up for it. He's never apologized to us or to the community. Not that we'd accept it, of course, because it's not sincere. He is always put out there that he didn't do it and now he changes his story and which is it you know
0: it it is striking he doesn't talk about uh what he did but there are t-shirts covid masks basically to support him this is a cop killer we're talking about what's that been like for your family
1: everyone smiles someone will send us the link to it and it's like gee you don't see you know no Parole for Cop Killer t-shirts out there.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But yeah, the, the Free Pepe movement. And they don't care if he's guilty or not.
0: So Shannon Bulls pulled the trigger um, in the middle of the night. He is also then eligible for parole soon.
1: Yes, he is. And we haven't gotten an official date on it yet, but he, that one will be coming. And as far as triggermen. There's two guns there. Unfortunately, they never found the guns, but mm-hmm. there's, you know, they both have the guns, so they both were the triggermen.
0: So, again, their parole isn't guaranteed. What do you want people to do? And and they don't have much time to do it.
1: No. Um, letters have to be in by November 1st to the parole board asking that parole be denied. Yeah. You know, it's as simple as, you know, just asking the commissioner and the pro board to deny the petition for release. You know, oh, you have to do is Just say, please don't let him out. If you want, you can even put down why you feel this way. You know, if, if the story affected you in any way or has, you know, still affects you, put that down. Anyone who knew him. Write down that, hey, I knew this guy. He did this, this mess. And we can't let these people out.
0: And we'll be sure to put that address and all the information uh, for people uh, in a link uh, to this story so they can do just that. I know we've talked, Cindy, it's really hard to ignore the connections between what played out back then, what we've been seeing play out again in, in Minneapolis, the same players, the same political connections. It's Keith Ellison who played a role Um, in all of this, uh, the current attorney general now who flies to Chicago back then with a care 11 news crew to bring back one of these murderers to Minneapolis uh, to surrender to police for killing your father.
1: Yeah. Nice private plane and everything. And, you know, he may have changed sides, but he didn't change inside. He's still that defense attorney, even though he's the top cop in Minnesota. It's, Horrible that he was elected. And it was like a someone stabbing us when he was elected to be the top prosecutor, top cop in the state. Because we know what he did. You know, defending cop killers.
0: So these prosecutions of police officers we've seen play out in Minnesota the, the last couple of years didn't surprise you and your family.
1: It was disheartening. Um you know, they try to do their jobs with so many people watching in you know, Monday morning quarterbacking. Well, I would have done this. Well, you weren't there. You you know, it's it's tough because I know one of the officers. Hmm. I've known this officer for over twenty five years. And yeah, it's been rough seeing what they're going through.
0: And the murder of your dad, it, it it's kind of hard to wrap your head around, but this was during an attempt by MPD and politicians back then to work with gang members, and this was all in the wake of Rodney King in Los Angeles. But your dad paid the ultimate price for this plan uh, hatched back then.
1: Yeah, United for Peace, Sharif Willis, Spike Moss, Jerry McAfee, Keith Ellison. They believe that, you know, that they could basically take over the city and just have the cops help them do it. The first thing that happened after the shooting was Chief Flock said no more. It's ridiculous to work this way. And it hasn't changed any. They're still giving money to criminals to not be criminals. And... As you can tell in Minneapolis, it doesn't work. It didn't work then and it doesn't work now.
0: Why did you want to speak out now?
1: The reason we chose to speak out now is to prevent the killers from being released from prison. It's up to the families to get the message out, to get the letters written. And we need all the help we can get. You know, they have their supporters We need to have our supporters help us. And that's what we're doing. We're asking for the public's help to keep the killers in jail.
0: Cindy Benson, thank you for joining me. All the best to your family. Thank you. And that will do it for this episode of Liz Collin Reports. We'll see you next time.